0: Hi, I'm Mark Kent. And I'm Jacob Pusey. And you're listening to the Art and Science of Running podcast. If you climb the new sea
1: This episode of the Art and Science of Running podcast is sponsored by Elo Endurance. Elo Endurance is an online nutrition company dedicated to supporting the hydration and fueling needs of endurance athletes. They're based in Canada and deliver product fast, right to your door, saving you the hassle of going out to different stores to get the products that you need to support your active lifestyle. Elo Endurance carries First Endurance, Goo, Endurance Tap, Cliff, Picky Bars, and they're one of the only retailers in Canada right now selling Generation can. And you can get a 25% discount just for listening to this podcast. Please visit eloendurance.ca. That's I L O Endurance.ca and use promo code ASR25 to claim your discount. Welcome back to the Art and Science of Running podcast. We're here with uh, a guest who's been requested by a number of people in part because we have close blood connections to him and in part because he has a lot to share and um, he's had a lot of life experience and, and education. And um, so we're here with uh, with Tommy Rivers Pusey, my, my brother, and we're excited to, to chat with him. Tommy is a, a doctor of physical therapy and a licensed massage therapist. He, when he... Is working on people he he works on some of the the top endurance athletes in the in the world Uh, he resides in Flagstaff Arizona and uh, there with his his wife Steph and their three little girls Um, he's he's my best friend and uh, someone I I know and rely on more than than just about anyone else I would say Um, so i know a lot about you tommy but um i i want to share some of what you i know about you with others and i know that you have plenty to share so we we wanted to meet with you and uh and chat about running and the art and science of it so jeez yeah. thanks
2: jake <laughs> got me all, got me on misty eyed <laughs>
0: I guess yeah you know, we kind of we kind of have a responsibility in uh in this ep- episode uh Jacob because um there there's a lot of people that want to ask questions so we we kind of make, have to make sure we do um we do a good job of uh of getting the right questions that people want to hear the answers to so um I I, th- I think it's really interesting for me hearing about that and you've got so many different um you got different hats that you wear so many hats I always wear a hat <laughs> <laughs> and so i'm interested like straight off the bat what order do you see yourself in like if there's like an order from like one two three down of like of your of who who you are like which one comes first is it like runner comes first then what comes second what comes third how do you how do, what kind of priority or what kind of order do you work in
2: oh man um hey milk first of all it's super cool to meet you
0: Absolutely. Likewise.
2: (laughs) Um, look forward to it in real life someday, but, um, let's see in terms of identity, this is a really existential question. Um, (laughs) you know, I, geez, probably not any that, um, that, uh, I guess that others might, I, I think, I think honestly, um, I sometimes I I think it's offensive when people are reduced down to one thing. Right. You know? Um and I and I feel like in the world of athletics and endurance athletics we tend to do that and or in or in academics. I mean maybe even more more viciously in academics.
3: Um
2: where somebody rather than being multi dimensional, which I, I really believe human beings are um they're not good or bad they're 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 you know they're all sorts of different variations and different degrees of um so many different components that make up somebody and so I I feel like when we reduce somebody down to maybe an accolade or maybe an accomplishment whether it's oh so-and-so has a degree or or um so-and-so is a tenured professor or um in athletics, I, I feel like we do it all the time with, with times. Like, I don't know how many times I, you know, how often you hear, Oh, this is so-and-so he's a, <laughs> he's a 212 marathoner, or this is so-and-so she's a 220 marathoner. And it's just like, Oh man, like it almost makes me cringe because it's just like, it's like, obviously they're trying to like bolster you up and build you up. But, but really they're trying to, they're <laughs> trying to, trying to place you in this social pecking order that we have where it's like okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna give you a number and that number all of a sudden um represents your value within this um this little microcosm that we're that we're swimming in at this time if that makes sense and so um so honestly i i don't know i kind of push against that i guess a little bit i i obviously more than anything i i feel like i'm a a dad and then after that i'm or i guess at the same time i'm um i'm a husband but i um yeah i feel like i'm just still trying to figure that out i i think that sometimes we can rest rest on these merits and um and it becomes detrimental because then there's no longer there's no longer any action there's no longer any movement and rather Mm. than it being um it's even worse than like not having progression it's like we actually start to digress like i I feel like life is like we're we're on (laughs) we're on a conveyor belt or we're on a treadmill and and we have to constantly be moving just to stay in one place Mm. and uh and so um when we start to rest on on those merits we we start to digress and our potential you know whatever that is or could be we we go further from that rather than getting closer to that if that makes sense i know that was a really roundabout answer but
0: i uh, um i started off the podcast brilliantly I, i've offended the host in the first no, part. no 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 i
2: not not i'm not i'm not offended by that i just i just um i just feel like i just feel like we, we really quickly we really easily reduce people down to uh, just a single thing and um and I do it all the time, you know, but in these worlds that we swim in, both academics and athletics, we love to do that because it, you know, it's almost like this is the value that we're associating with that individual based off of the degree or based off of the time. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just Tommy. I'm just a dude, just a simple, <laughs> simple dude from from farm town. But
0: <laughs> So what is it? Because um, you kind of touched on something there. And um, I'm just going to. Just going to dive into that a little bit more, yeah. Um, which is the, the idea of kind of like of of developing and moving forward all the time, rather than rather than feeling like you're not developing, you're you're kind of stagnant. And yeah. um, what what do you think it is that kind of like what's the what's the, the driving motivation for you? Like when you because obviously you travel a lot and people can see that you travel, sure. and uh, and then you jump into some races, uh, obviously help out other other runners um, uh, as well um what are the kind of key motivations for you like what what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning and then and then kind of makes you want to go out and do 15k 20k or whatever it is and are, are there key are there key things that kind of motivate you that you can perhaps be able to put into some words for, for other people listening
2: um yeah maybe i i think that probably um I think first and foremost, what motivates me is—it's less about a, <laughs> it's less about accomplishing anything, and it's more about just trying to get my own mind right. And and that—that's a because fortunately and unfortunately, we live in this kind of 24-hour cycle. Um, you wake up in the morning, and everything that you've so so perfectly wrestled with throughout the entire day to where you can finally uh kind of face it and look it in the eyes and you know tie it up with a bow um by the time you go to sleep you wake up in the morning and it's just it's just spread out all over the floor again and and you've (laughs) you've got this exhausting task of waking up and and wrapping it all up again throughout the day and and by that i just mean um trying to keep my own i guess mental and emotional health in check and i've found that movement has uh, a profound effect on that and i don't i don't necessarily realize it when i'm when i'm in the thick of training towards something because it's something that i guess i take for granted but when i whenever whenever i've been injured or caged or whatever because of um Academics or work or um, or you know just different obligations. Um, I find that my emotional and mental health deteriorates really quick if I'm not able to get out and spend time in uh, not just outside but within like um, <laughs> a, a healthy natural ecosystem and um, and whether it's my own emotion or other people's emotion that I that I tend to absorb um, it comes down to being able to metabolize that and the way that I have found that I can metabolize that emotion is is just through <laughs> repetitive continuous <laughs> movement whether that's swimming or cycling or, or running or walking or really kind of anything but um, so I guess the first biggest motivator the biggest driver is just that it's like I'm just trying to get my own my own head screwed on straight every day before the rest of the day starts Um, I guess the second piece to that uh, and this is maybe something that that was more the key component when I was younger was just trying to uh, I'm motivated by by the fear of not reaching my Potential, and and that could be potential. Um, I guess in any capacity, any of those dimensions that I that I mentioned that that we're capable of as a human being. So, um, Jake and I grew up pretty simply. Um, our parents were pretty structured, pretty orthodox, pretty hard, um, pretty blue collar. Uh, but then there was also this very there was a demand for, um, for excellence. We always knew that we were loved fiercely, but there was, there was this expectation that, that whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you choose to be. There was never any, never any pressure in terms of the way that we were directed. Um, but whatever path it was that we chose, there was an expectation that you, you excel at that. So I remember from the time I was a kid, um, my my dad would tell us we'd see people out working uh you know building a highway for example in the scorching heat and which is admirable work it's honest work it's uh, but it's hard work or you'd see these these cowboys or these farmers that that um you know my folks had done that and then we also you know growing up in rural communities had plenty of opportunity to do that ourselves um for summer jobs or on the weekends and things like that and it was always it was very clear to us, um, not just you know metaphorically, but just like literally out of the mouth of our of our dad, he'd say, "You can work with your hands or you can work with your mind." And so if you if you if you want to go to college, um, I'm not going to pay for that. And so you either need to be a great student or you need to be a great athlete or both. And and that was something that I was told from the time I was. I don't know, maybe five. And, and that was just always kind of ingrained into my mind. It was, it was, you can either work with your hands or you can work with your mind. And if you want to work with your mind, you need to go to college. I'm not going to pay for college. So if you choose to work with your mind, you have to either be a scholar or an athlete or both. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was also, you know, kind of ingrained in us from the time we were young and, and, uh, um, yeah, so so really, more than anything, it's 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 fear. I'm motivated by fear of not reaching my potential. Another thing that, that we were <laughs> that was kind of gr- ingrained in us from the time we were young is that, is that waste, waste in any way, shape, or form, whether it's time or talents or relationships or opportunities or um, capacity. Or food or water or money, or you know anything is is sinful, like you know there there's there's variations of of what's considered um, a moral or an ethical um, I guess um, shortcoming or sin, but at the top of that for us was waste, and so honestly, more than anything, I think it's ingrained in me that. Um, yeah waste in any form is is not okay and so waste of potential is probably the very worst form of waste so really that that kind of that kind of motivates me more than anything
0: yeah so it sounds a little bit like like tell me if I'm right or if I'm wrong but um it sounds a little bit like uh by lacing up the shoes and and, and getting out there and running does that for you that does that kind of like just just quieten down the mind and just allow you to sort of drop all the kind of the mental chaos is is that part of what goes on
2: yeah yeah maybe that or maybe even um you know there are there (laughs) there are few people um whose presence i um enjoy and those few people are you know the people in my family um (laughs) And some close friends, but but there are a few people whose presence I enjoy more than just the voices in my own head. And uh, and but those voices, it's conditional. It's almost as though I, I we only get along when when those voices are quieted down enough or in submission enough. Um, when either I'm running or I've or I've been able to go out and spend a long period of time to be able to just kind of just kind of exhaust them, just quiet them down, and then. And then you get along with them real good. It, it's kind of like having a dog. Ha- like having a dog, you know, that um, it's super anxious to see you and it, it loves you so much and wants to be with you. But it's really just kind of exhausting when it meets you at the door and um, <laughs> wants to tackle you to the ground and lick your face. It, it's kind of like that. It's like it's it's a lot easier to get along with if it's if you're sitting on a couch and it just has your head on its, uh, its head on your lap, you know. I,
0: I like the fact you use the dog analogy. And it, because yeah, my, my brain went to parrot for a second. I thought that would be really bad if the analogy was a parrot. Oh, jeez. Yeah. yeah, no. I,
2: yeah. <laughs>
0: um, for people listening, and also this is kind of selfishly for my own benefit as well, um, having grown up in a place that is, is not North America, um, but having spent some time traveling around Oregon in the past, um, you mentioned about your childhood. And, yeah. um course the obvious question that um that a lot of people ask us to ask you um where did it kind of kick off for you was there how, how did you even get into enjoying running and um and 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 doing it on a on a on a reoccurring regular basis what, what was the story behind that oh man um let's see i think i think uh
2: this hard this is a long time ago um you know, I, I think that the way I've talked about it before is, is is typically most people are, um, they learn to run when they're kids and then they're told not to run and eventually they obey, whether it's at church or school or um, the pool or whatever. And then, you know, you go through a few years or the rest of your life being sedentary, but then there's these efforts that society or friends or, you know, your own um, ambition uh, to get back into it at some point, once you realize the negative effects that have come about from from choosing to not be active, and um, I feel like we we never we never stopped. So you know we learned to run as a kid as kids, and we were just man, we were mischievous. We got into a lot of trouble, and um, there were six of us, and so there wasn't a t- ton of money to uh, spend on a lot of things that would otherwise occupy our time and so our our recreation as kids was just was just being outside and when when your transportation is on foot and you live in the the arid um southwest we we grew up in new mexico right on the border of uh west texas so uh it's pretty it's pretty barren it's pretty arid out there and uh you know if you want to see a lot you got to cover a lot of ground and man we we would just terrorize these neighborhoods and um whether it was outrunning outrunning cops or um and w- when I say that I mean like it's like five year olds like i i was i know but for real i was um i was 5 and Jake was was 7 and uh we would we would catch these snakes because um, there were, you know, in the desert, there's not a lot other than snakes. And so we'd, we'd catch these snakes and and then we'd have to figure out a way to feed them. And we found that the easiest way to find the food for the snakes was was to catch frogs, but the frogs lived in the water meters of people's homes. And so we would sneak into people's yards and we'd open the water meters and then we'd, we'd catch the frogs. Um, it was and, about
1: the only place where there was any moisture. <laughs>
2: yeah exactly yeah so they'd be down there because it was cold and dark and wet and then yeah and then the police would get called on us inevitably and you know we always assumed that the police were after us because they wanted the frogs <laughs> and so um we'd uh yeah we just take off running through the alleys there were alley systems and i don't know if you ever try to catch like a little a little kid when you're you know your center of gravity is low it's it's hard you know you can dart around real quick and you can maneuver and get away and um yeah, we were really good at getting away, and so there was that, and then um, we got older, and our punishment a lot of times it wasn't even punishment, honestly. that that, that sounds bad to, to call it punishment, but if we were in trouble, we'd get kicked out of the house, and it, we were told to go to go run either around the house, or I remember one example. we were driving um, I think we were in southern Utah and we were all driving together somewhere and um it was just my mom and the kids and jake was mouthing off and <laughs> and uh, as per the usual at that time um he was mouthing off to my mom and so my mom kicked him out of the car
1: and was it where was this jake southern utah this one instance no, that was it was on the way home from a basketball tournament in, in Portland, in Oregon. So this was after we'd moved to Oregon, I think. Oh we
2: were we were in Oregon when it happened. Okay. Well I remember one time getting kicked out of the car and we ran along the highway in southern Utah, but another oh. time was was apparently this one. In Oregon. Jake was mouthing off, got kicked out of the car and was running along the road. And probably what my mom said was, um, I'll see you in a couple of miles. And so she would drive down the road and then just wait till we got there. And then hopefully we'd, you know, we'd gotten whatever that, um, that angst was out of her system and then, and then things were okay. So, um, yeah, so Jake gets kicked out of the car and we're driving along and, um he's gonna meet us a few miles down the road but then the cop pulls my mom over and he says that there's a report of an abandoned child on the highway and that the description (laughs) of the vehicle matched the description of my of my mother's car and so um you know she explained to the cop she's like listen i've got a long ways to go and i got all these kids and i got a I got a mouthy kid there that you know i just just had to deal with this somehow and i think the cop took mom's side and
1: I would have so, done the same thing I was like what? Uh,
2: so you show up and he's instead of it being like um you know your mother should not have done this it was listen here you smart ass and <laughs> and uh, it was yeah, I remember that anyway so running was was a was an important part of her upbringing but then um Maybe we shouldn't have had you on the show. Like, <laughs> you
1: tell all, my, all my stories from my childhood. No, <laughs>
2: you, you said <laughs> it in the intro. I know everything, dude. Um, but anyway, so that, that happened. And uh, um, yeah, and then Jake had this great idea when we were kids. I guess teenagers. We were getting to where we were teenagers. And Jake decided he he wanted to become a runner. And this was in junior high. And um when you're a younger brother, like when you look up and emulate your older brother and you don't you don't really have a choice what direction you're gonna take. You just obviously have to choose whatever path they chose. And he had this brilliant idea that we were gonna become distance runners. I, I honestly think he thought it would improve our game with like the ladies. I think he well, oh. I I don't think I was included, but I think <laughs> that there was probably somebody that he that he had a thing for on the team. And um, is that right? I mean, probably right.
1: <laughs> kind of. I mean, I, I did start because it, I wanted to get because of a girl, but because the, yeah, there were, there was no a,
2: in junior high though
1: in early. junior high. So I wanted to get in shape for basketball, but I, it was also a co-ed sport and I wasn't good at soccer. Right. Or football. We weren't allowed yeah. to football. So it was yeah. kind of our only option. Yeah. Well, you were good at soccer, but I didn't.
2: Right. I, no, I was, I, I was basketball. a, I was a great soccer player. I had a super bright future in soccer. And then Jake, uh, because of a girl, um, chose to become a runner. And so I, I rode that soccer train as long as I could. But then eventually, um, yeah, eventually it was like, okay, well, Jake's running. So I want to be a runner. Um, And yeah, so started to do that. And every once in a while, he'd let me come along. And I, I was clueless. I, I mean, we were both clueless in terms of, how to do that our, our dad had run a couple of marathons um and i watched him race i think i watched him race somebody in a parking lot once and it was one of these like you started off yeah. and off yeah 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 and but it was like this was started, not with the cost again no 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 this, this I, is- I i think it was like this conversation <laughs> where it was like i could i could run faster than you and it was like no i could run faster than you boy and it was like prove it and i remember watching dad in a parking lot once in these leather you know, work boots and jeans race, race, somebody in the parking lot when we lived in New Mexico. And, and he talked about, he used to do, um, he'd run a couple of marathons when he was younger, um, off of like two days of training. And he he did this mountain trail race called the bear gutsman that existed in, in Utah. I think it still exists actually. So, so there was some talk about, you know, that that he had done some runs and everything like that but there wasn't a lot of like running tradition in the in the blood or in the family and so um yeah when we got into it we didn't really know what we were doing I remember Jake came home one time and he was like hey let's go for a run Uh, I'm gonna go with my friends and you can come if you want and I was like oh sweet and so I ran upstairs and put on I guess the only shoes that I thought would work and they were my soccer cleats and I came downstairs and he was like, you can't, you can't wear soccer cleats. We're going to go on a run. You're going to embarrass me in front of my friends. And I was like, well, what do you wear? And anyway, so we got into that. And then, um, junior high, Jake had some races and I was, I was in elementary school still. And his coach, um, his coach invited me or allowed me to run in some of these races unattached. And, um I was just playing soccer at the time and yeah, so I i gotta jump in some of these races and it was something that I I didn't really love it, honestly, but it was just like, okay, well Jake's doing it and it's cool
0: and um I have to just uh I have to just mention here something Tommy and obviously you figured this out I'm sure many years ago, but soccer players get more chicks than runners. So oh
2: that's absolutely, a- man. Yeah. I mean it's just like <laughs> I realized early on I was like, dang, I made a horrible mistake here. Um <laughs> I mean there were some cute girls on the team and they were co ed and that was that was fun. I mean the you know the 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 team was co ed so that, that helped. But um yeah, absolutely. I mean if if anybody out there's listening and they're 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 trying to improve their their game with
3: um I, I guess yep. especially especially
2: if you're a dude and you're trying to improve your game with the ladies, like p- being a runner is not gonna help at all. Um <laughs> it's uh, it's basically completely against all of those things that you're hoping to acquire, but, um, more on that maybe later, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, yeah. So we started a race and, um, and then we kind of got caught up in it. Like the culture in Oregon, um, is infectious when it has to do with, with being, you know, a hungry, motivated, um, kind of blue collar athlete growing up in Oregon because there's just so much tradition around around exactly that and um yeah so pretty soon you get caught up in it and then you you kind of become a part of that world and um you know you just become motivated by the possibility of what what could be and you know in our town you could be you could be a rodeo cowboy or you could be a football player that got drafted into like a, or that, you know, that got recruited to like a D3 school. And, uh, or you could be a runner or a wrestler, I guess. There was a pretty good wrestling program, but yeah, I mean, those were kind of
1: your options. And so, um, yeah. I would say we were probably um, influenced or impacted by the wrestling program more than, you know, we didn't have a good football or baseball program, more soccer program so like the kind of ethos our town was known more for its wrestling program than for its running tradition right yeah and so i think we we kind of got some of that gritty scrappy totally stuff from some of the the wrestlers or just kind of uh outwork your competitors put in more time train in the mornings, train at night
3: right
1: and then probably some of the ideas around diet and things as well came from right exactly wrestlers. So yeah we just just given a little intro to that if we if we go that that way i think some of some of our influences were probably from the the yeah. wrestling side of things oh so totally just, and
2: there's yeah. yeah there's some great things from that there's some great things that come from that in terms of you know determination and hard work and motivation and things like that but it's also um uh, it's pretty archaic and in terms of the approaches, it was, um, it was pretty brutal. Yeah. I remember once we got into, into high school, I, I would wake up and run in the morning because the wrestlers were running in the morning and it's like, well, you know, if wrestlers are running in the morning, then obviously runners should run in the morning and then, you know, show up to, I, I remember every single morning on my, on my run, right around five, five, 12, 5, AM on the road that I ran on the wrestling coach, um, coach Berger, he would be running the opposite direction on the same road. And, and it was always just this, like, it was c- kind of in between like a mad dog and like a, a like a nod, like an acknowledgement of like, Oh, you're hard and I'm hard. Like, like, <laughs> d- don't look at me too long. Otherwise I'm going to challenge you. But it was just kind of this, like this mutual respect. And, um, and then I'd show up and, and, uh, after our practices in the evenings, I'd go, I'd go up to the wrestling room and I'd train with those guys and, um I honestly thought if I did you know a thousand push-ups a day and a thousand sit-ups a day and you know jump rope for an hour a day that that would make me a better distance runner and because that was the that was just that was what the wrestlers did and it was just it was like if 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 you know if a hundred push-ups is good well then a thousand is better and you know if 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 20 miles is good then a hundred is better and um I literally got told when i was in high school at one point um you know you need to train like you're a kenyan and i said well well do you think kenyans have ever gotten stress fractures and i was told yeah but they probably ran through it <laughs> so so that was the mentality going up just this he just didn't this, hear that
1: from me <laughs> no i wasn't not, not from
2: not from jake it was actually from a coach but but the, but the takeaway was like well stop being a candy ass like like um <laughs> and anyway there's just this very hard culture of just put in the work and 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 be hard and and don't complain and um
0: and i'm, if I'm kind you, of curious
3: yeah.
0: a little bit curious like and um, from, from jacob's perspective being the older brother um i I'm mean imma- i'm imagining like the worst like the most uncool thing is is going somewhere and, and your younger brother wants to tag along like um, oh
2: yeah totally
0: And I'm imagining being the older brother, you know, you have kind of a pressure to make sure you're always better than your younger brother. (laughs) Is that true? Was that true when you were growing up? Um,
1: Yeah, I I was a punk um, to him and to just about everyone. Like, I'm surprised he still talks to me to this day. Like, I I wasn't a very nice big brother for a long time. No, you weren't
2: that bad. (laughs) No, 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 no. You'd let me hang out. I mean, you'd let me come
1: i i you me had to you
2: told me I had to pay you but i could but I could still come and hang out on the weekend with you and your friends but
1: yeah no um we've i mean we've shared a room since we were like little little kids um we're used to being around each other um and um it, it I thought it might be kind of weird. So we're, I'm two years older, but three grades ahead. Um, and so, um, I was young and Tommy was a little bit older for his grade, um, just because of where our birthdays landed. So we actually were only in high school together for one year. What was my senior year, grade 12 and his freshman year, grade nine. And so by that point, um, any of my friends that were my peers, like my, my own age, um, a lot of them had already kind of chosen not to take running or school as seriously as I had. And so it was actually really nice um, that Tommy did come into the school and he was, he was motivated as a runner, as a student and and another kid in his class uh, by the name of Brian Hornick. And I'm going to do that thing that people do. And I'm going to just drop that he, ended up i think running 347 in the 1500 in college so he was he was a talented runner uh went to columbia um those two came in and and it actually like it made me up my game but we also became really good friends they had other friends um i i kind of became closer to people in tommy's class than than a lot of the people that i had kind of grown up with um just because uh they were more committed to what we were doing and so yeah we just it, it wasn't that part wasn't that weird once once we got into high school kind of when i was in high school and he was in middle school that was weird um because i was you know trying to be cool and trying to show off to my older friends but once i was the oldest or like in the top grade in the high school it was kind of like who cared I, I didn't care and i wasn't trying to impress anyone by that point and yeah, i, and I, and I, I, I gotta, gotta sorry go ahead
2: oh, oh i just gotta say that and 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 the me, me being, I mean, better is not even on, the, on the, on the table. Like even just my goal was always just to try to run with Jake. Like it was never, it was never, um, I never wanted to try to beat Jake. And there was never even a chance of that happening. It was always just, it was always just like, my goal was just like, okay, if I can run, I if I can just run close to Jake, then that, then that's enough. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't love it. I remember like they they would let me, the coaches were really cool in this little town. They, they would allow us to, they would let me come when I was in, you know, grade six or grade seven or grade eight, they would let me come and train with the high school kids during the summer or on the weekends. And they had a, they had a really, um, for as small of a town as it was, they had a really, um, a really great track and field and cross country, just kind of, dynasty sounds too pretentious, but just, like a tradition um and and they really helped foster some great athletes given the size of the the size of the town and the and the i guess the talent pool if that makes sense um and so they let me come and show up but i i remember i mean i remember vividly uh there's just such an expectation to just just to to run with um to run with whoever was the best in that program that, man, I'd make myself sick every day, just trying to, just trying to hang on. I remember running one day and it was like, uh, I think it was six miles or something, but, um, running along this road and it was hot. And I remember pushing and I was so uncomfortable that, um, there was a car that kind of buzzed me. It got a little bit too close And I remember thinking, you know, if I'd have been out, you know, four or five more inches to the left, like that, that mirror would have, would have clipped me, would have completely taken, taken me down. And, uh, I remember hoping, I was like, man, if I, if I could just get hit by a car, I could slow down and not have to run so hard. And then I'd have a way out. And I, I mean, not that there was ever any like pressure like that put on me from my parents or from my, you know, or from Jake or from from the coaches but it was just this internal thing it was just like um just this drive just this need to be um uh, it was like well if if you can possibly run that hard then you have an obligation to yourself to run that hard and the only way that you're going to get out of this in this case was like well as if you get hit by a car and so it was like honestly hoping for that because then i would have a legitimate honest reason as to why i had i had slowed down on that on that workout and um, we just did
1: never like that culture that tradition was never take it easy like it was just it was just we hammered every single day that was Mm -hmm. uh, it took a long time for me to unlearn
2: (laughs) oh yeah so long (laughs) and i mean there's there's just there's this odd it's just this odd combination of just like you got farmers and cowboys and these guys are these guys are these guys really are the toughest human beings I've ever met just um, just so so tough and um, you know you want to get the respect of really of like the of the men that are respected in the community and the men that are respected in the community they've you know they've got these hands that are just giant and they just um, they just work hard every single day and and nobody would dare complain about it because it's it's not like work is a seen as a burden it's seen as an opportunity and it's like everybody is grateful for the chance that they have a job to where they can go and provide for their family and so it was it was um, we'd go on these bike rides in the mountains and on the weekends we'd take off and on these old ten speeds that we bought for I mean just cheap that were you know we'd parse Oh, yeah, we'd piece together these you know, like shifters down on like the down tube and like we'd we'd piece together <laughs> these like, you know, spandex that we'd get at Goodwill and these me- mismatching kits and helmets and shoes that we could find on clearance and like ride up into the mountains. And, and, you know, we didn't have cycling jackets or even windbreakers, but like we'd ride into these these little mountain towns and these are like 60 miles away from our home. So we'd have to turn around and ride back. And we weren't even cyclists. It was just like, let's go for a bike ride. So. We dropped down into these little communities and um I remember once we got stuck in this uh this rainstorm in like July that was like freezing rain and um went down into this little cafe and filled our water bottles up with hot chocolate and then stuffed the water bottles in our shirts to stay warm as we like rode back up over the pass and you know there's these cowboys that are out working and they're like they're like, hey boys, where'd you where'd you come from? And, um, you know, you kind of want to be validated by them, so they'd be like, oh, you know, we live in this town. It's sixty miles away. And they, instead of them validating us, it was the complete opposite. They'd be like, they'd be like, you telling me you rode your bike sixty miles out here? Um, sounds like you got too much energy, boy. Why don't you do something productive and and come here and help me build this damn fence? You know, I mean, it was just like just the notion of going out and 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 voluntarily wasting that amount of energy on something that was so selfish and non-productive as riding a bike was just like it just just, just kind of blew the mind of these hardworking you know blue collar farmers and cowboys and so um yeah it was it's just a weird just a really weird kind of kind of <laughs> culture to grow up in but
0: i'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a little bit like um uh, change gears a, a, a tiny bit and because uh, I'm kind of intrigued because it, obviously at some point later on you've you've um you've gone down this educational path and um and ended up become becoming a dpt and, and 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 what have you. and um did you like if we if we fast forward on a little bit to kind of end of high school like did you sure. have like did you have, like a master plan in your life, like I want to be a runner, so I want to do this this and this to to help me be a runner, or was it more of a kind of um, yeah was there was there a kind of like a vision in your head of where you wanted to go in life or or was it more kind of uh, decisions as it came
2: oh no, i mean it was it was totally mapped out in my head um it didn't go how I had hoped i um in grade nine, I was going to run 821 in the 3,000 meters. And I, I was going to break a, a longstanding state record held by a guy named Tracy Garrison that ran for Klamath Union, who'd run 822 um, for the 3,000, which which as a 15-year-old, that's, that's pretty quick. And then by grade 10, I was going to set that even lower. And then by grade 11, I was going to break... Steve Prefontaine's state record for the three thousand meters, which I believe was eight oh, eight oh nine or eight ten. Yeah, no, eight oh. It was eight oh five because.
1: Oh, Logston ran like. Because Eric
2: Logston ran eight ten. Yeah, um, and Dobson ran yeah,
1: Um,
2: and then I was going to run in the Olympics in two thousand, in the year two thousand, which I would have been a high school junior. Um and then i wasn 't going to go to college because obviously um i 'd have two thousand and four to prepare for and um and and then the reality of it was that I never even made it out of my own conference I never even actually qualified for for the state me in high school and um so I had huge hopes. I had, I literally thought I was a reincarnated version of, of Steve Freefontaine. I, (laughs) that's, that's not a joke. I actually really did think I was. And, um, and that there was this prophecy that there was this, there was this marketing campaign that Nike had come up with that said, who, who will be the next pre? And that was pushed really heavily on, on, you know, kids that grew up in Oregon. And, and I didn't realize it was a marketing campaign. I literally thought it was a prophecy. And it was just, you know, this is who who's the next one? Somebody's coming, who's gonna be the next one? And I I thought it was I thought it was me and and, and inevitably it wasn't. It was this blonde kid from Central Catholic high school named Galen
1: Rupp, but but um <laughs> but who
2: was a year younger than me. But um Nothing anyway. against
1: Galen, but I don't think Pre would appreciate that.
2: <laughs> well, I don't know. Galen was quite a badass, as as a, as a as a high school kid but yeah um anyway at least at least trying to race against him it it made you made you think he was you wanted to hate him so bad but he was just so nice though you know like after the races you'd want to walk up to him and just be like tell him everything you thought about him and salazar and the team and all of that and oddly none of it would have been warranted until um a decade and a half later but um but he was just same same way he is now, just the nicest guy in the world. And, hey guys, hey, is cool if I cool if I come on the cooldown with you. you know, I mean, like you, you couldn't help but just just like the guy because he was just just a nice kid. But um, anyway, yeah, um, yeah. So I had it all very well planned out, and then um, I had some seasons where where I was really fit and and fitness came together really well. And, um, I got to go run with Jake a few times when he, he was in college by now. And, um, during the winters, I would have these really big breakthroughs where I, I would run, um, probably way faster than I should have. And it, it kind of gave me just kind of a glimpse at what my potential might be. And we would do this 5k, um, time trial kind of course around our town and, and I kind of made that thing my, my baby and um I would focus as much on that, you know, practice interval as I would for an actual race and um ended up running running really fast for a high school kid and then I it just it never worked out where I could
1: put it together in an actual race and um I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in. There was a oh. I was, I was a freshman in college. My my team won the, the junior college uh, cross-country national um, championships, the so NJCAA, which meant that we were running against a lot of foreigners that didn't get into the, the big uh, four-year schools. And uh, um, so my team was good, and I was better than I had ever been. And I came home that first winter um, and ran with, with you, Tommy uh on that loop and that was that was my jam as well in high school like that was where i could always measure where i was at and like it would give me confidence going into races and stuff and i remember (laughs) you warmed up i think with ankle weights on and dumbbells in your hands to go to get to the start from our house um and then um i didn't see you so you were in Tenth grade, and I was in grade thirteen or like first year of, of college. and uh, and i I had been a a member like on the varsity team of, of the best junior college cross country team in the uh, in the country. and uh, I didn't see you like the entire I, I didn't even run with you the entire time, and then finally you got to a a stoplight about one hundred to two hundred meters before the finish. And you got stopped there (laughs) and you, and you turned around and like jogged it in. But I, I still think you ran under 15 minutes on that day. And I was like, yeah, 1458. I still remember. um, (laughs) So that's pretty good for, for a 15 year old,
2: man. I wish I could do that now. Jeez.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But anyway, that so that's what we chose to do over winter break. Um,
2: yeah, so there were these glimpses where it was like, it was like, wow, you should be fast. You should be running with these guys. You should, you should go to Oregon, or you should go to Stanford, or you should, you know. And, um, and but then, and I mean, invariably something would happen. I, I I got a stress fracture, and then I got another stress fracture, and then I I randomly I went to Australia when I was um, spring break of junior year, which was probably the fittest I ever was and um I came home and was really sick and right during track season and um I got I went into the hospital and eventually okay this is this is how this is how bad it was oh man mom and dad are gonna hate me for this but I woke up one morning and I'd been throwing up and you know just uh like bloody diarrhea for like a week and um sorry that's too much detail but it was it was rough i mean it was bad i was very i was very sick and uh and a week of it and i you know i told my dad i was like hey dad i'm i'm man i'm, I'm i don't am i feel good i'm i'm really not not feeling well and he's like well what's wrong and i was like well you know i i got i got blood and he's like oh no, no, no this is a thing called traveler's uh like a it's a traveler's g i issue and so what you need to do is like reset your microbiome you need some probiotics in there, so so what you need is to get some cheese so so go there and look in the fridge and see if there's you know any cheese in there, um preferably some moldy cheese because the more mold on it the more the more probiotics it has so you know if you can find some moldy cheese, just just eat that and that should set you straight and you know, I look in the fridge and there wasn't any cheese, not any moldy cheese, but there was this like this like two pound um, brick of like Colby Jack. And I was like, well, all right, well, maybe this will help. So so I ate that thing. And and the first problem is that it wasn't that I needed cheese. Um, um, but the second problem is that the cheese didn't help. And so I woke up the next morning and I, I couldn't, um, it was time for school and I usually got up and ran and my mom came in and she's like, "Tommy, you gotta get, you gotta get up. You're going to be late. And I, I was like, mom, I can't, um, I can't move my arms. And she goes, what? And I go, and I can't, I can't really, I can't really breathe. Um, like my lungs won't, my chest won't like open. I, I, I think I, I feel almost like paralyzed. And she was like, oh dang. Um, all right. Well, let's take you to the hospital. And um, anyway, got to the hospital and they did some blood work. And apparently I had trichinosis, like this bacterial infection that you get from consuming, um, raw pork, but there hadn't been a case of it in the U.S. in like 30 years. And apparently, I contracted something from eating a sausage roll when I was in Australia, and and, uh, and I was the lucky one to get it after 30 years in the U.S. And so, um, anyway, it's basically the same effect as having E. coli during your your uh, your your uh, most important track year of of high school, and so it never came together. It never worked. I broke my bones or I, you know, got, got, um, got bad sicknesses. And, um, yeah, so my thoughts of going to Oregon or going to Stanford just kind of fizzled. And instead I, uh, I became a missionary and went down and lived in Rio in the, in the slums in, in, uh, in Rio in Brazil for the next two years. And, um, was exposed to culture and was exposed to new language and was exposed intimately to, um organized crime and um it kind of opened up a whole new chapter for me and I guess that kind of set the course for my academic studies early on at least um and then running just kind of just kind of took a back burner for a while and um so I knew, I knew, I knew I was, I knew I had potential. I knew I had the ability to run fast if everything was working right. Um, but I never got to see it kind of come into any you know, fruition when I was in high school. And then um, it kind of got put on the back burner for, I don't know, five years, six years or so, seven years. And then it wasn't until after college that, um, that I could start making money running that I realized like, Oh man, maybe I want to take this serious. And Um, yeah, so that's kind of how it jumped ahead for me and Jake and I ended up running together in college on the same team and, and that was great. I mean, we, we, uh, we hadn't been together for, for a really long time. Jake had been a missionary in in Panama and, and just with the way the timing worked out, he was going to come home about a month after I was about to leave, to brazil and so there was a four-year interval where we actually just just missed each other didn't see each other and so we ended up in hawaii and we got to run together on the same cross-country team and um yeah i was still trying to chase girls and surf more than run but um so yeah i mean I, i i never even had a chance to even come close to running with jake until really after college if that makes sense um Mm -hmm. i think the first time i ever actually beat him was oh geez like probably four years after college um but up until then the goal was always just to just to try to hang with him you know
0: Mm -hmm. and then your um sorry yeah your choice the, the choice of uh of study uh um at college was that was there Anything sort of specific behind behind that choice? Was it? Um...
2: No, that was Jake's fault too.
0: <laughs>
2: no, really. I uh, I hadn't been in. Um, man, I uh, I came home. I came home from Brazil, and and Jake had been living in Hawaii, and um, man, I was in a rough. I was in rough shape. I I didn't. I couldn't speak English very well and I um I was supposed to all of a sudden be in these university classes and I I was so I was so um I think you diagnose it as PTSD I I I was so traumatized from um not so much from what I saw when I was in Rio but but trying to transition back to uh, like a normal life after living in 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 the favelas is what they're called the slums in in rio and uh i'm trying to wrap my head around good and bad and um moral and ethical and otherwise and um and jake got it i mean jake was i i i became i went from being very extroverted to incredibly introverted during that time because it was i i didn't i couldn't uh i couldn't connect with people very well because i felt so so much like an outsider and i um and Jake was that soft place to land after coming back and um I really was dysfunctional. I mean it was it was a it was an unhealthy um time in my life where I um I really it really was a lot of culture shock but but I didn't have to explain I didn't have to explain it to Jake like Jake got it like Jake had seen enough of that during his time in Latin America and and trying to understand the complexities of organized crime and and violence, brutal, brutal violence, and living literally like in a war zone that isn't necessarily classified as one, and um, and not having to explain to him that um, you know what it's like to <laughs> to see somebody get the back of their head blown off, you know, with <laughs> with a point blank shot from a gun or not having to explain to him what it was like to see you know to step over a body that you know had been um, dismembered by the cartel the night before I mean things like that where it was just he got it and I didn't have to try to have to try to explain any of that to him and I and, and, and th- it, it was the complete opposite actually I, I got to school and, and like he always had been um, he always, he always looked out for me. He always had my back. And I, I, because I was coming in basically walking on the team as a freshman and he'd been there for a few years, um, I didn't have a scholarship and I didn't have, I didn't have any money and I didn't have, um, I couldn't hardly even speak English, let alone write it. And so trying to, trying to jump into university life was, was a struggle, but, Um, we would go on these runs in the mornings and run up through the mountains and in Hawaii and um, just spend time out there. I think that was honestly the first time that I actually had an opportunity to spend time in mountain trails and it was with Jake and we'd go up and we'd forage fruit that we'd find up in the, (laughs) in the trails up in the mountains. And, um, and he really did set everything up for me. He'd, I'd eat at his house, you know, he'd, he'd make me dinner. I'd come over, he'd cook. Um, the agreement, the the, the agreement was if I, if I could go out and spear the fish and have protein that he would provide everything else. So I'd go get the fish and I'd come back and, and I'd make the rice and Jake would make the rice and we'd (laughs) eat fish and rice and fruit. And, um, and, uh, nobody knows this. And, Jake's going to hate that I said this, but, um, I, nobody knows this. Um, but he, I didn't have money for tuition. I didn't have money for living expenses and I was working and I didn't have a scholarship and I didn't have an academic scholarship yet. And, um, and so Jake as the older brother, um, he's like, Hey, let's go to the bank. I need to open up a new bank account. And I didn't really know what that meant, but I was like, sweet, yeah, we'll, we'll cruise to the bank. And we get to the bank, and he puts it in my name. And I, I thought this was probably for like, you know, this is like an offshore account, but it's your little brother's account. And he was trying to hide money in my name. But um, yeah, <laughs> but we get there, and um, he a, opened an account in my name and deposited uh, as much money as I needed. To pay for school and for my living expenses. and um, I was like, Wait, what? And he said, Well, I have an academic scholarship and I have a, and, and I have an athletic scholarship and you don't have either, but you deserve at least one. And so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pay for this until you get this sorted. And <laughs> man, I mean like it's your older brother pays for your first year of college and with no with no expectation that you reciprocate and i still have it i mean um you you do every day (laughs) anyway um but yeah so that yeah i mean that just this is i don't mean this to turn into this but that just that just shows um for those of you that don't know Jake that's that's the kind of <laughs> that's the kind of human being that he is you know so anyway Jake Jake paid for my first year of school and um and university's not cheap and um anyway yeah so that was <laughs> that was a hard hard year coming back from Rio and um, trying to get my feet back on the ground and and Jake was Jake was in these anthropology classes And so um, anthropology class felt like um, Sunday dinner every day at our home from the time I was a kid. So it was like, sweet, there's a topic that, you know, dad, i.e. the professor is going to throw out and you have to defend it and talk about it. It's like, this feels super, this feels super comfortable. And I guess the longing for home after coming home from from Rio for a couple of years, it just felt it. It just felt like home being in. The anthropology department, and that's what Jake was studying. So, just like getting into running in the first place, um, anthropology became something that I that I originally pursued just because Jake was there, and it just made sense. And um, just meant I got to hang out with him. But so that's kind of how it started, and um, yeah, I just saw it through to the end. And a couple years later, I was an anthropologist, but. Um, he also had had wanted to be an exercise scientist or exercise physiologist and so he dabbled in that and i liked that as well so i would dabble in those classes with him too and then eventually decided i would double major and um so i actually studied both of those but it was it was largely because he he had um had an interest in that in the first place so
1: we, did, yeah. we tried to figure out how we could both be in the same class. <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, really, yeah. It was like, you're a senior and I'm a freshman. How do we get to be in the same class? <laughs> so really, honestly, my entire undergrad was, um, was uh, honestly, all of it. Because Jake wanted to be a PT also. And so I took the biomedical route also and did that. And it was because Jake had done that as well. So I, yeah, honestly, my, my entire life, I guess, up to this point has been just kind of, just following in Jake's footsteps. So, so the irony and
1: of ironies, though, is that uh, you have an extraordinary gift for languages, and then I, I ended up continuing the <laughs> the anthropol the anthropology track and studying linguistic anthropology. But you're a much better no, language speaker than I. No, uh, but
2: that's and- your fault too because i I came home and i spoke portuguese not even just portuguese like brazilian portuguese which is like the equivalent of like brazilian uh, uh, the equivalent of portuguese ebonics and so i i spoke i spoke like i spoke ghetto portuguese and and jake spoke spanish and so i was like well maybe if i take spanish classes i can hang out with jake's with jake in his spanish classes which is what we did so so he'd established this good relationship with the professors and we were taking these. He was taking these 400-level classes, and I was a freshman. And he, he could convince the professors to let, me, to let me enter these classes when I hadn't had the first 10 classes necessary to get e- even into that class. So I'm in these upper level Spanish classes where the uh, Spanish literature and Latin American literature and, you know, history and politics in Spanish, but I didn't speak Spanish. I spoke Portuguese. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so, and then I got cocky and then I thought, well, if you speak, if you speak Spanish, then you speak all the Latin languages. It's all just Latin. So like <laughs> if you speak Portuguese and you speak Spanish and you also speak Italian and you also speak French and you also speak, you know, any other of those languages and so um i put myself in these um situations where i kind of didn't have a choice but to but to learn them just because i was too concerned about my my grades so i'd jump in you know a, a 300 level french class and actually didn't speak any french but thought because i spoke latin in my mind i could figure it out and um and then you just you just kind of have a choice if you if you're trying to maintain these academic scholarships because um anyway yeah so that's kind of how it all went and i guess that's why i really studied everything i studied was just because it's <laughs> because that's what jake was into so thanks jake so, so,
0: yeah. so, so uh so beyond college which, which of the um, which of these kind of like areas was it that kind of stuck with you or was it all of them that have kind of you've carried with you? Um...
2: You know, honestly, I, I was told my entire life that all of these paths were, were tangential. These, you know, these sidetracks that weren't going to amount to anything. And I, um, man, I love, I love learning though. And I love, I love exercise physiology. I love the science behind exercise. I love biomechanics. I love, I love gate analysis. I love, um, I love, I love anthropology. I love languages. I love culture. I love food. I love um, what I really wanted to be my entire life is a chef. I, I grew up just like with a passion for for food. And if I couldn't be a chef, I wanted to be a musician. I love music, and um, you know, our younger brothers do that. But I, I, uh, he taught them. I I really do love. <laughs> Music though, and so music and cooking, like man, that's where I'm at. But but then, um, I I guess all these other side checks were just results of what what Jake was into. But um, but I, I honestly I love all of it. I feel like I feel like anything that you learn in depth, if you learn it intimately, if you if you if you become passionate about it, and man, going to college and like growing up in the town that we grew up in, and not really having um an emphasis on math and chemistry and physics and things like that, like in, in high school, like having to learn that stuff in college was like, not that the concept is any more difficult, but there's a, there's a time constraint, which, which increases the amount of pressure to, to learn it during a certain you know interval. And um, you know, things like physics and chemistry that, that to me were completely foreign concepts. I, rather than, than avoiding them and, and hating them and pushing away from them, I I chose, I I learned that if I made these subjects my passion, if I just became absolutely obsessed with chemistry or obsessed with physics, then I would, um, I would, I would actually enjoy the process. And um, so I was, I was, you know, reading books about, um, you know, Ramon Icahol, which is like, you know, one of the early, (laughs) one of the early anatomists and one of the early, I mean, he did so much work on, I guess what we'd call now like cellular biology and, you know, reading books like the philosophy of physics and things like that, that, that weren't in any way like required reading, but they were, they were things that that created um, these characters that I was studying, these scientists, like it, it, it gave me insight into their life. And so then I became passionate about actually what we were studying. And so I became you know, I got to the point where I loved chemistry, you know, and I got to be, you know, a, a TA in chemistry and I got to teach chemistry in college. And and then same with physics and same with anatomy and same with physiology. And you know, I, I learned really quick that if you if you study it and you become friends with the professors and you 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 really make it your passion, then they have to hire somebody to be their teaching assistant the next semester and they'll pay you to then teach the other students. And it was just like, man, this is this is awesome. So like, by like the third year, I, I was able to like, I was able to work the system to where I had um, an athletic scholarship, but then I also had three full academic scholarships. And so it was like, rather than school being something that cost a ton of money, it was like, oh man, if anybody had any idea how much money I was banking every semester on, on the money that the university is paying me to do this, it was just like, I, if I could, just be a student the rest of my life then i mean like that could be my job and unfortunately like in the fourth year they caught me and found (laughs) out and you have to have i think 105 um credits to graduate otherwise they graduate you they, they just force you to graduate they give you an interdisciplinary studies um uh degree and you're just done they basically kick you out and I had to, when they caught me I had two hundred and fifty six and I still and I still had to finish the final year. Um but it was just something that I just like I honestly just loved it. I I would sneak around and um I don't mean sneak around like in like an infidelity way, but I would sneak around and audit classes and wouldn't tell Steph once I got married because there was already there were already too many classes that I was taking that I would, I I wouldn't want her to find out that I was actually auditing, you know, additional classes as well. And it, I mean, I don't know. I realize that like, if you really dive into it and you really make it your passion, then it's not something that you have to dread. There's actually, um, like it's exciting. It's like, it's, uh, it's intoxicating really. And, um, I guess I found the same thing with endurance athletics. Like if, if pain and discomfort is something that you're trying to avoid, it's like, well, you're never going to reach your potential. But if it's like, you can spin it and it can become, it can become something that, you know, pain and embracing pain that becomes your greatest ally rather than something that you're trying to, to avoid, you know, you can, you, you can weaponize it. You can use it as a weapon against your competitors. And
0: one of the things that's kind of, I don't know you as well as other people for sure. I've kind of been watching from a distance. You know what, what you're up to and, um, and where as, you are. I'm
2: not. I'm super not as douchey in real life. I promise. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but one thing that, one thing that's like really clear is, and it kind of intrigues me a lot because um, you know, with runners that I work with, it's it's quite a small minority that do this. Is it, the, the fact that you're able to, you know, and, and you do kind of consciously move between different types of running events. Um you know whether it might be like a road marathon or whether it's um whether it's a multi day uh, ultra or whether it's a trail race or whatever and um and I find that really interesting because um I think there's a lot of people kind of would like to be able to do that or aspire to do that but clearly it's pretty difficult because um um once you spread yourself kind of thinly across different disciplines how do you kind of master any of them or how do you you know how do you get how do you how do you how are you able to um to, to traverse different uh running styles. And I've seen that that's something that you're into, that you, you're able to kind of drop in and out of different types of events. Um and I'm I'm kind of curious, like in your normal running, like week in, week out, how do you like if you're gonna do do you have like a general a general kind of training style that you then just kind of uh, you just go for a race and then just apply it to a race? Or if you had if you had a certain type of race like a road race coming up would you train specifically for that race for a period and then flip back to trail so i'm kind of interested in like whether whether you kind of specifically target different types of running races or whether you just generally run and generally train and then just go for it in the event um yeah i mean boy yeah that's a good question
2: i i guess the easy answer is yes i i it is methodical i i am i am actually planning constantly scheming but it's um i almost write my weeks from the back to the front rather than from the front to the back if that makes sense so i i know that, that i mean there there's some very basic there's some very basic principles that I, that i think that uh, well i guess before i get there people people have these preconceived notions that you you're either a road runner or you're a trail runner um Mm -hmm. and you know you have to have you know a 12 to 16 week build and you have one a race and you do that race and then wipe the slate take three weeks off and start over and Mm um it's something that i just i just simply don't agree with i and not not because i not for any other reason than because the the science doesn't make sense to me um the i i don't think that our bodies require that i think it's these these i think it's these um it's these methodologies that we've fallen into because there has been success doing these things um, with some of the greatest athletes. And these are some, what some of the greatest coaches happen to do, but I don't think that that necessarily is the way that it, that it has to be based off of our, our physiological and biological and anatomical laws. I, I, I don't. And so, so looking at that, breaking it down to, um, she's like, I talk about this all the time, but I, um, the very first most simple basic rule that you learn in biomedical sciences is is wolf's law w-o-l-f-f um a german i think it was a german anatomist um 19th century anatomist that um his work was originally um i think what he became known for is the work that he did on on studying uh, skeletal systems and what he found was that bones one of you know several structural tissues that we have in our body that that bones will will strengthen themselves that the fibers of the bones will align themselves um specifically um in response to the stresses that are placed upon them so 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 the bones will make positive adaptations in response to the stresses that are placed upon them and not just not just in general but very specifically the actual you know a bone is like is like a tree where there are rings of a tree and there are fibers that are going in multiple directions and the bones will align themselves the fibers will align themselves in a way that is most effective to attenuate the stresses that are placed upon that bone in that specific um, in that specific plane of force and so um, the easy analogy the easy takeaway from that is that if you if you stress something if you stress a tissue whether it's a bone or a tendon or ligament or fascia or blood or you know any of those things if you stress it if you stress it a little bit those tissues will make positive adaptations in responses to those stresses and they'll become stronger. If you stress it too much without enough rest interval in between, those tissues will eventually experience tissue breakdown and you'll injure yourself. If you stress it enough to where your body says, hey, this is a new level of stress that we've built up to, um, and that if you rest, your body will then go in enzymes will break down tissues that have been you know micro fractures or micro tears and then they'll then after the enzymes have taken away the damaged tissue they'll rebuild new tissue it's just like a demolition team and then a construction team that comes in and there's a process you have to go through that entire process in order for the strength to take place Um, but if you do that appropriately and if you stress and rest in proportionate intervals and that doesn't mean one day of stress and one day of rest And when i say stress i mean work so you know a a workout in the gym or or going for a run and um if you do that with the the appropriate interval the appropriate proportion of stress to rest and and that can mean one hard day of stress you know a hard road tempo run or a steady state run or or a race simulation type run or an actual race might mean four or five or six or even seven days of rest in between and when i say rest i don't mean like sitting on a couch and drinking a beer i mean um not stressing it to the level that you did during that workout or that race and so you know you're still going out and you're still putting in the work um but it's not quite to that level and if you do that back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. This is like rungs on a ladder. It's like steps in a staircase. It's like layers of an onion. It's like rings of a tree. You deposit a new layer and then your body is able to solidify that layer and and that unit. Physiologically, the processes become stronger. Um, The systems, heart, lungs, and blood become stronger. The structures, tendon, fascia, ligament, um, bones, blood—they become stronger, and so as long as you have that interval, um, you can continue to build strength uh, literally indefinitely. And obviously, there are other components that come into that: your your endocrine system, your w- which is obviously your 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 hormones. So um, and everybody hears the word hormones and thinks sex. It's a lot more than just sex. It's, it's sleep patterns, it's diet, it's, you know, cravings, it's, um, regulating blood sugar. It's regulating, um, production of red blood cells. It's regulating all different things that, that are, that are a factor. Um, uh, the more amount of stress that you have, if it becomes too much and, you know, you're, one of those stress hormones is cortisol. The higher the cortisol level is, the lower the, the testosterone is. Testosterone obviously has functions in, in, in sexual reproduction in males, but it also has huge functions in, in repairing and recovery. Um, Sleep is hugely important. Um, Human growth hormone is only released in our systems when we're sleeping. And so these two, these two drugs that people use to dope themselves up, you know, to, to cheat the system which is illegal and it's unethical um people don't like to think about those things um but it's to their own detriment because there are ways that you can naturally make sure that you maintain those levels um by honestly by by eating enough food by sleeping enough and by not overdoing it with life or work or training and 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 keeping that balance Um, a lot of what I've experienced in terms of being able to keep that emotional stress, or I'm sorry, that, the cortisol levels, which is essentially just the stress hormone that's in our system is to figure out ways to have training, not be something that you dread, but be something that you actually enjoy. And so, um, I, I try to figure out ways to have training be be a part of my everyday life so i i typically do (laughs) five days a week what my training typically consists of is is what i call um do you guys have del taco in canada no
0: it's
2: (laughs) it's a it's a pretty cheap mexican restaurant that exists here and so it's a
1: chain there it's a chain restaurants (laughs) in restaurants <laughs> right
2: it's it they're not it, it's not great it's not authentic mexican it's like a step above taco bell but it's like it's not much better but but they have these burritos that i really like and so i do five days a week i do what i call the vuelta del taco because the del taco <laughs> is 10 miles from my house and so i will wake up and i will slowly make my way to that del taco on a mountain road and i'll eat a burrito and drink a powerade and i'll turn around and i'll run home and the only reason is because i need a destination otherwise i won't put in the time so um and the reason i do that is because if i have a destination in mind then it doesn't necessarily feel like i'm going out and training it just feels like well oh, you just got to get to del taco because you got to eat a burrito and then you got to get back home and um and so five days a week i'll typically do that and then two days a week I'll put in some serious hard work. Usually one of those days is in the Canyon, the Grand Canyon. Um, it's about an hour and 20 minutes from my house. And then another day during the week is, um, some hard specific work on the road or on the track. And I usually try to do that with a group because that's another way that makes it feel less like work and more just like recreation. And so, um, what I've found is that if I maintain the durability that comes from running in the canyon once a week, and the canyon is it's 5,000 vertical feet down to the river over, oh, I don't know seven or eight miles, and then you can continue on to Phantom Ranch, which is another few miles, but then 5,000 vertical feet back up. And I find that if I do that once a week um, that I can handle better, the impact that comes on my legs if I'm racing hard on really any kind of course. But then at the same time, I've found that if I, I, if I, I found that I need to put in specific hard work on the road or on the track because I need the turnover. I need, honestly, I need the neurology, the neuromuscular um, efficiency that comes from running hard and fast on a track. But, but other than that, The only thing I do is daily I do, I do strides and strides. I just define as, um, pretending that I'm starting a 10 K race and running the first 30 seconds of that race. So it's not, it's not an all out sprint. It's just slowly working up to running quickly and then slowly easing out of it. Um, and I'll do, I'll do four to six of those. Usually the final mile of my, excuse me, um, of my run, I'll do four to six of those. So, so really my training all year round is five days a week of slow, 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 easy runs. And when I say slow, they're like 10 minute miles. Like I'm not running fast. (laughs) Um, I mean, really though but but it's 20 miles a day and so it's it's and if i'm too tired i just stop and walk i literally just stop and walk until i feel like running again and then you know eventually i get home but i but i cover the distance rather than thinking i have to run at a specific a specific speed and um what i've found is that from the research that i've done um if i do it that way then there's not, there's always going to be stress, but emotional stress is not one of the components that contributes to that total level of stress. Our bodies have a hard time differentiating different types of stresses, whether it's physical stress or, you know, work stress or family stress or, you know, all the other angst that comes from just being a human being. And so if, if there's not emotional stress contributing to that total level of stress, that total pool of stress... Um, From my training if it's not something that I dread if it's not something that it's like Oh, I have to go out and push this pace at this zone and this heart rate today um, Then uh, Then my total overall level of stress is lower uh, Which means my cortisol levels are lower, which means my testosterone stays higher Which means that my body recovers better and my mood is better and my you know all of these things that people are illegally doing to try to gain an advantage you can maintain those levels high just by simply changing as odd as it sounds, changing your perspective
3: mm-hmm.
2: um and your mindset on on what you're doing and so um I really kind of learned that um, from from run commuting when I was in grad school. I would run to school and I would run back and i i I was running twenty four miles a day. But I was never. It never felt like I was training because it was just simply my mode of transportation to and from school, and um, and I'm a I'm a high volume kind of runner. I respond well to high volume, and it has to do with with the way that I'm built. Um, I wouldn't recommend this to everybody, but it but it, it if I if I don't run over 100 miles a week consistently, then I'm 180 pounds, and I can't run. A fast marathon if I'm 180 pounds it's just the physics doesn't the equations don't don't line up Um, the easiest way to determine fitness is is to take (laughs) um, watts divided by kilograms so the amount of energy that you can or the amount of force that you can generate over a given period of time divided by your weight and that's, that's like a one dimensional version of that, that in reality, it's like a five dimensional kind of equation. But, but um, if I don't run enough miles, my body isn't a runner body. It's, it's like a, it's like a farm kid. And so I have to, I have to run enough miles to keep my body uh, in, in running body kind of physiology. And then, and then additionally I have to put in work to, um, to make that happen. And in, in terms of being able to juggle different races, I, um, I think there's a misconception out there where people think, oh, you ran your marathon, <laughs> wipe the slate and start over. But if you don't injure yourself during that marathon, and if you take a few days and you slowly get back into it and, and you don't have to go out and run 20 miles the next day, I, I typically, I typically walk or I ride my bike or I swim for, I don't know, for three or four days after a marathon. And then I slowly get back into running. But if you can not injure yourself, you're the fittest you've ever been three weeks after that marathon, um, rather than on the day that you step on the starting line for that marathon. And so your body can actually absorb the fitness, the durability, the neuromuscular efficiency from that marathon, just the same way that it can from any other training run. There's not this arbitrary rule that says, or there's not this, there's not this finite rule that says, well, but you've run a marathon. So you have to start over. It's like, wait, that makes absolutely no sense if people are out running hundred mile races. And um, I I think we're starting to see it. I, 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 we've, we've seen it with, with some of the top level runners at least some of the female runners Sarah Hall for example I think it was maybe it was New York or maybe it was yeah I think it was New York a couple of years ago where she she went to go race New York and she didn't have the race that she was hoping for and she turned around less than a month later and she was a national champion at California International Marathon um, in the marathon and I think she ran close to as fast as she'd ever run Um, Galen Rupp don't mean to bring him up again um, but boston of 2018 when it rained he ran the entire thing until what was it mile 18 or mile 20 that he dropped out Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and people said oh this guy's you know this guy's done Uh, you know clearly he wasn't fit and then less than three weeks later he went and ran 206 at Prague. you know and so it's Mm -hmm. like this idea that you can't maintain that fitness i i i just think it's it, it just doesn't make sense scientifically to me and um and I also don't think that you. Um, this is a long answer. I'm really sorry, but um, the, the best resource that I've ever found in terms of how to, how to make, um, how to proportionately set up easy, moderate, and hard type training is is the book written by Matt Fitzgerald. Um, I think he wrote it in 2000. 14 maybe 2013 called 8020 um and he talks about how over and over and over over you know decades of research and also anecdotal evidence that the best proportion of training is 80% of your training should be at what he says uh, he, what he calls light intensity which he defines as under your first ventilatory threshold which basically means you're easily breathing you, you should be able to breathe through your nose or hold a conversation when you're running. Um, and your heart rate should be for, for myself, um, you know, 77% of your max heart rate, which for myself is right around 140 beats per minute. And at elevation at 7,000 feet, that's barely faster than a walk. And so it's like 80% of my, of my, of my mileage needs to be, at that light intensity. And to me, it doesn't matter if that 80% is on the, on the road or if it's on a mountain road or if it's in a canyon or if it's on a trail. Um, what's important is that the other 20% needs to be at moderate or high intensity. And so that's when you know I have these hard efforts in the canyon and I also have these uh, hard efforts on the road. And so if, if you were to take the math of just, just simply a hundred mile week 80 of those miles, you're running really, really easy. Um, and 20 of those miles, you're running hard. But 20 miles of hard running a week is really not that much if you're running 100. And people tend to overdo it. They, they're they not able to run high enough miles because the proportion of those miles are too, are too high of intensity. And so they injure themselves. They're chronically fatigued. They don't run their their slow runs, slow enough to be able to run their hard runs fast enough. And without that appropriate stress and rest, um, proportion between the two, um, you just get diminishing returns because you're not actually able to absorb the work that you've been putting in on those hard days. And so, man, it's so easy. It's so, so what's not easy. It's so simple though. It's mm. so so simple. And what makes it difficult is honestly the monotony of it. It's it's the it's it's the it's the fact that it's not sexy. 80 of those miles out of a hundred are not sexy. They're they're very easy, slow miles, and people want stuff to be everybody wants everybody wants every day to be a high intensity interval. Training type workout. Everybody wants to be screaming like "Hell yeah, we got this!" and in reality, it's like save that for the last six miles of the marathon. You know. Um. Anyway, I don't know if that
0: was awesome. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sense, but yeah, super, super detailed. Yeah, for sure. Um. Uh. I know, like in the interest of time, I know that Jacob has some questions. Um that he wants to uh, ask you specifically about uh, about running and coaching. So I'm going to turn it over to, to, to Jacob for a bit. Thanks, yeah. mark
1: Yeah. Um, so I, I do want to add some caveats that I think you would add that you, you did add, but um, specifically that, uh, you know, like you said, part of the reason people can't do what you're suggesting and, you know, doing a marathon and then, three weeks later doing another marathon uh, part of the reason that galen and sarah could and that you can is because of the total training volume uh, oh absolutely
2: yes 100 the so, easiest the easiest way to recover from a race is to be in shape for that race before you do that race
1: so some people when the goal is simply to finish a right on or the ultra or a stage race or whatever that's yeah that's why that's why as a coach, I do recommend taking that week or two weeks. Absolutely. Sometimes longer 100%, 100%. to fully recover before they get back into that routine. Because, you know, some people don't even run as many miles or spend as much time on their feet in an entire month as you do in a week. And so right, totally. that, that's part of the challenge. Um, so I, I jump
2: in really fast. I had a buddy the other day. No, this was this was when I was in grad school. And he said... I want to, I want to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Um, how, how should I do like, how do I go about doing that? And I said, Oh, it's super easy. I had super simple. And he said, well, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you need to run, uh, you need to run a hundred miles a week every week without an injury for a decade. And he looked at me and he was like, Oh, no but like how do i do it quick and i was like I, there's not a quick way to do it like you have to earn the fitness you have to earn the durability and and being able to run 100 miles a week without an injury requires a huge amount of um of checking in with your system and being honest when something starts to bother you something starts to hurt um having the confidence to back off and slowly, slowly, slowly building that up over um, over no, no, yeah, it it takes at least a year, at least a year, to be able to run one hundred miles in a week, at least a year. and and uh, it has nothing to do with effort. That's the problem. People think it's like, oh, you don't think I'm tough enough. It's like, no, I, I think emotionally, motivationally, you're tough enough, but your structural tissues, absolutely they are not that's just simple laws of physics they will break if you do too much too soon and so yeah i mean these these people that i mentioned sarah hall galen Rupp, um they've been doing this since the time they were like 12 and
1: um and they're both extremely efficient and not so yeah so right uh, absolutely absolutely yeah so they can and they can they can get in quite a number of miles in significantly less time than it would take um a lot of us to go out and run that hundred mile. Like I I would assume that Sarah's training paces are as fast or faster than mine are. And, uh, oh, yeah. she's, and she's running way more volume than, <laughs> than yeah. I run. So like uh she will be able to bounce back quicker from a from a marathon than than I would. Um right. So um, we we do want to talk to you about a few other things. Um, and I and I, I think we're just going to have to have you back on to discuss some of this other stuff. But uh, you do get asked quite a bit about nutrition. And you did talk a little bit about weight. And you mentioned Matt Fitzgerald and another one of his books that is very popular but somewhat controversial, uh, especially in light of some of the stuff going on currently in women's sport uh, is called racing weight um right so we don't have to get into all of that but um but i know that just (laughs) just following you on instagram seeing that the most commonly asked question of you is what your diet is and what what you eat from like on a daily basis and um if you adhere to a particular diet um and if so yeah
2: yeah um honestly the Easiest way to sum that up for for me, and this is this is so this is so different for everybody, and it's so individual for everybody. You've got you have got extremes on both sides of the spectrum. You've got Mike McKnight that just ran three two hundred mile races, and he is high fat, low carb. I've eaten out with him several times, and he. He's he laughs at what I order and I'm just like shocked at what he orders. But um, and then you got Jeff Browning that uh, obviously the guy does not age. He's forty seven. Forty seven. Holy crap. He's forty seven. And last year he I mean, just this year he he what was he? What he was won he?
1: Hard rock last year. The one
2: hard rack was like third place at Western, Western. or
1: fourth. Yeah. Um, up there. And laughing.
2: then two, and then two other. 100 mile races i mean the guy just just bounces back i mean it, it clearly works for him you got zach bitter high fat low carb and he you know breaks the record at the 100 mile but then you've got on the opposite you've got guys like um killian and jim and um you know that that eat <laughs> just food Um, like jim's a vegetarian but like you know killian just eats food and um you've got guys like uh scott jurek who's whole food plant-based vegan you got guys like rich roll whole food plant-based vegan strict and and it works for them and what i've found works best for me and i guess the best advice in a concise way is is i think it was dr is it dr Furman that wrote that book that was um really trendy he said uh eat food not uh eat food mostly plants not too much and um, and that not too much thing is, is tricky. It's controversial. Um, because people hear that and they think, oh, so I'm supposed to be hungry all the time. And, and in my, in my experience, um, the more, um, the more food I eat, the more energy I have. Um, if I eat something and I don't then go burn it, then I will wear it and I feel that and then I don't feel, uh, energized. I don't feel light. I don't feel fast. Um, so that doesn't mean that doesn't mean don't eat food. It means if you eat it, make sure you're going to go burn it. And, um, and if that's the case, I've found that listening to my body's cravings, um, are, It's incredibly helpful for me. And so learning to identify cravings learning to identify what my body's trying to communicate to me Excuse me, um Has been really really helpful. So if I'm craving something like, if I'm craving something sweet It's that my body is craving carbohydrates and so I can go and I can eat um, I can eat a bag of Swedish fish Or I can eat a couple of bananas both of those things have carbohydrates which my body is asking for Um, bananas will be the better choice if I'm craving um, something fatty I can go and I can eat ribs or I can add some (laughs) some avocado or coconut oil to my smoothie or my meal and that will be the better choice. It'll make me feel better later. Um, if I'm craving salt, I can go eat a whole bag of potato chips or I can eat a pickle. And um, learning to listen to my body and realize what it's telling me based off of my cravings and having having an entire spectrum of op- options from things that, that will help me meet my goals and things that may hinder my goals. Um, th- that's one thing that's been really helpful. The other thing that I found is that, um, eliminating refined foods, except for when I'm <laughs> doing really hard training intervals or races, um, has been, has been really helpful as well. So just cutting out refined crap is, is, is helpful. Um, Honestly, I, I I can get a I can get away with a lot of a lot of stuff that that some people can't get away with because of how much I'm training, and so um, and I've seen that I've seen that as well among like the the guys and the gals that I train with here. Um, Scott Fobbs eats loves eating giant burritos, and I wouldn't recommend that to everybody. But if you're running 120 miles a week, and some of that is close to five minute mile pace at 7,000 feet for 20 miles, like it really can eat whatever you want. And your body's going to burn it. Um, obviously he's thinking about what he needs in terms of micro and macronutrients and something like that is typically going to cover, um, is going to cover all of those bases. And so, um, yeah, I guess, I, I guess the, the, the takeaway for me is that it's different for everybody. And, um, the less meat I eat, the better I feel. But if I eat no meat and I'm training hard, eventually I I have I have a hard time regulating my my energy levels. My blood sugar drops too quickly, and I know there's probably a way to fix that. I'm sure it has to do with proportions of fat and proportions of protein, and I I simply haven't figured out how to regulate that. Um, I would love to. I I honestly feel like the world and all aspects of, um, (laughs) of that would be better if we ate more plants and less meat. Um, I, um, I'm more motivated to, to not consume any plant-based products because I, uh, I don't like the idea of killing animals, um, more than any like health benefit, but I know everybody's motivated by different reasons. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of go back and forth, um, depending on the time of the year, um, what I eat, depending on my cravings, depending on my training load. Um, I know a lot of people that are very, very strict to their diet and they run really fast. And I know a bunch of dudes here that seemingly fuel off of beer and pizza and are the fastest runners in the world. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I think our bodies are incredibly, incredibly adaptable and they can take almost any combination of foods as long as everything that's needed is present and do incredible things with that. And I think that's just a reflection of how adaptable our bodies are and how unique our microbiomes are. But um, I think if the focus is solely that, uh, that people are going to be really let down when they get beat by people that don't eat as clean of a diet as they do but train harder than they do or train smarter than they do.
0: Quick um, anyway. question, uh, Tommy, for you. Like, do you regularly... Uh, supplement as well? or Do you kind of assume that, um, that your normal diet gives you what you need or, or do you also um, add, add things as well? No, I,
2: you know what? Let me go run and look in the cupboard and I'll tell you everything that I take. I, I do, I do supplement. I, um, uh, there's a brand called First Endurance and um, they're traditionally more with cycling and triathlon, but I, I fully believe that they make the very best Products available on the market. I, I, um, you have a choice as an athlete in terms of what. I, I think a lot of times people think like, oh, you got really lucky because so and so offered you a sponsorship. And and it, at some point, you actually, it's you choose your sponsors rather than your sponsors choosing you. And I and I've been with First Endurance for for a lot of years because I simply believe that they're the best. Um, the best company. And I, this isn't a plug. I, 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 uh, um, I just, I would buy it off the shelf if they didn't give it to me, but, uh, I take a multivitamin by, um, by first endurance and it's formulated for endurance athletes. So it, it looks actually a lot like a prenatal vitamin. It's basically how do you, what are the things that you need to build tissue? I take something called optogen HP, which is a combination of, um, uh, Beta alanine and then um, there's cordyceps and ashwagandha which helps um, regulate uh, it helps regulate uh, stress hormones actually and like I said the idea is that the lower your cortisol levels are the higher your um, higher your testosterone can be at least in a male and then the quicker the, t- the recovery will be I take something called hemaplex that I just buy it like a like a CVS, just a, a pharmacy. Um, and it's iron in combination with uh, a huge amount of um, B vitamins and then other trace minerals that help your body absorb iron. Um, I take something called strontium, which is another, um, another just basic mineral that has been found to help increase bone density. Uh, I take another thing called another supplement that I just get at c v x called it 's called bone up it 's not what you think um, <laughs> it 's not what well, kind of podcast. <laughs> unfortunately it 's less exciting than that but it 's um it 's formulated to help um uh develop bones and honestly both of these things strontium and then this this combination of bone up and then the hemoplex also are things that i 've that I've recommended to patients, I I worked um, for a couple of years in a neurological rehab facility. And most of that demographic was um, geriatric and most of them were uh, suffering from either Parkinson's disease or um, osteopenia or osteoporosis. And so these are, these are products that are aimed at most of the time, postmenopausal women who are trying to keep their bone density strong. And so if, you know, if, if there are raw materials that, that um, are needed to keep bone density optimal um, among that demographic, then it's obviously important for endurance athletes as well. Um, and then the other thing that I do is I take, um, there is a recovery shake that Ultragen makes. I, I'm sorry, that, that first, endur- first Endurance makes. It's called Ultragen. And, um, that's been a game changer for me. So wake up in the morning, I get, I can just tell you exactly what I did today. And it's, it's basically what I do every day. I wake up in the morning, I get caffeinated and hydrated. Um, I sip some kind of hot caffeinated drink for a couple of hours, um, while I'm reading early in the morning before anybody's woken up. And then by then I'm hydrated. I've peed probably six times and then i go out on my run um i might bring like a simple electrolyte drink in my hydration pack that i can drink um just cuz i don't i just don't want to get dehydrated and the and the idea is not that i can't handle it it's that my recovery will be quicker if i don't get dehydrated so i'm thinking not you know the rest of the day i'm thinking you know w- what is tomorrow going to look like in the next day and the next day and um I ate a couple of bananas. I ate some walnuts before I went on my run. Uh, I came home. I made a shake with, um, two scoops of that Ultrogen, which is that recovery. It's, it's, it's similar to what you'd find in any recovery shake. Uh, a couple of bananas, some berries, some peanut butter, some almond milk. And I drank that and that I'm, If I am religious about one thing, it's that I the very first thing that I get into my system after my run is that recovery shake. And and the reason is because it has what I need to recover, but it also fills me up in a way that it keeps me from eating other crap that I might imprint on during the run. Things that I start thinking about. I start having these food fantasies and I try to shut them down because I found that if I allow them to if I allow myself to indulge in these food fantasies on my run, that very little other than whatever I've been fantasizing about will satisfy my craving when I get home. And so rather than thinking about it and then trying to eat something different, I just don't let myself think about it. And so that'll hold me over usually that, and and it's a whole Blendtec blender. It's like almost a half a gallon. Um, I drink that and that holds me over for the next usually three or four hours. And then, um, so basically I'm almost completely whole food plant-based carbs up to about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then when I'm trying to, I call it (laughs) harden up um, in terms of just get lean um, before race, I will eat almost exclusively, Uh, animal protein after 4 p.m. until the next morning. And so it basically, um, basically, I eat whole food plant-based carbs for about eight hours of the day. And then I eat um, no carbs for about 16 hours of the day, including sleep. And um, I, I found that when I do that, It allows my body to be fueled when I need it during the run. And it allows my body to still know how to process carbohydrates in an effective manner for when I'm racing. But then it also teaches my body how to use fat as a fuel source um, when there's not carbs readily available. And then when I go out and run, um, I go run 20 miles and it's been 16 hours since I've had any carbs. And so it's a combination of both. It's not a specific diet that I adhere to. It's just something that I've just just kind of figured out on my own and it and it works for me anyway that was super detailed but
1: yeah that's about it that's good that's what people ask that that's what people want um
2: there's nothing magical about walnuts i just like them i i just really do they're kind of they kind of taste like dirt and so i think something subconsciously makes you think that like well if it tastes like crap it must be healthy for you and um but i eat a lot of walnuts and a lot of bananas a lot of bananas probably 10 bananas a day and um yeah a lot of nuts and a lot of peanut butter a lot of fruit uh lots of rice and beans i i haven't been eating too much right now cuz i um i hold on to that a little bit too much and i'm trying to get trying to get lean but um that's man that's so controversial it's it's tricky it's really really hard to discuss that because that that equation that i threw out um mm-hmm. that fitness is <laughs> is the amount of energy that you can generate over a given period of time divided by watts and the and typically um,
1: or weight right i'm sorry
2: yeah i'm sorry yeah divided by kilograms so watts divided by kilograms is equals fitness and it's typically easier to lose weight than it is to gain fitness and so um in the last couple of weeks before a race and so um that's messy though that's a one-dimensional equation when in reality there are probably five or six dimensions that go into that this has to do with with amount of stress hormones it has to do with your own specific build it has to do with um completely unfairly that the female endocrine system and the male endocrine system are incredibly incredibly different and um being deficient in calories if you're a male has different effects on your body than it does if you are a female because just quite frankly a male is not um has not designed and set up to literally create a human being every 28 days and um and that's a huge that is a huge tax on on a system and um and the loss of blood the way that testosterone and estrogen come into play in terms of um, bone health and bone density and energy levels and um, all of those things. And at the same time, though, it's it's something that um, I, I try not to let my mind become too consumed by it because I there have been times where it has and I um, it's not popular for males to talk about. um body dysmorphia and um, and um, disordered eating but it's it's real I mean it's it's definitely something that I've I've wrestled with for I don't know two decades and um, sometimes it's it's heavier than other times Um, I, well, you know, um, in college, there was a, whether we thought about it or not, I I think that because we grew up around the wrestlers, we didn't see this as as disordered eating. We saw it as just like, this is what you do to get in shape. But um, in college, you know, we're a sanctioned university and we're sponsored by Meadowgold, which makes chocolate milk. And there were all these research articles that came out about, Hey, uh, you know, if you drink chocolate milk right after you run, it's, you know, it'll, it'll help with recovery, which I, I don't, I don't argue with that if you're not lactose intolerant,
1: um, was miserable,
2: uh, right. Cause you're lactose intolerant, but, but, oh, but yeah. um, as a poor college student, it's like, okay, we've got all this free chocolate milk and we've just spent three hours running through this tropical forest. And this, This tastes really good, but it was a ritual. We would go into the locker room. We would down three pints of chocolate milk. We'd walk into the showers. We'd turn the shower on and we'd all throw it up. And it was just, that was the daily ritual. And nobody even thought like twice about it. It was like, it was binging and purging and and it was just well that's just what you do because you don't want to actually digest that stuff I mean that's that was the mindset but it's like um and so it's messy I mean it it really is I mean it's 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 unhealthy it's um it's something that I that I try to figure out a way to um I, I wrestle with it I struggle with it and um it's it's not so much based off of trying to look a specific way. Um, well, no, that's not true. It's not, it's, it's not trying to look the way that I think um, a normal male would want to look. It's trying to look as um, somebody with Scandinavian blood that has grown up in a farming and cowboy culture. Um, trying to look like the East Africans that I line up next to it's trying to look like Christian Bale when he's the machinist Um, which everybody would argue is not healthy it doesn't look good Um, it's not sustainable Um, but there is a huge amount of pressure um, to do everything that you can to to be as fast as you can and take shortcuts if you have to and and if they're legal and they're ethical, then they're on the table. And I'm stoked that like the conversations that are taking place right now because of people that are that are speaking out, um, changing that the the culture and 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 realizing that it is uh it it is possible to it is it is a form of abuse if it's if it's um pushed on you from another individual i i I would never say that i have in any way suffered um suffered that way in terms of abuse because it's always been self-inflicted um it's always been based off of that that same concept that we talked about in the very beginning where it's the fear of not reaching my potential it's like okay well you've had this success but what could you be if maybe if maybe you trimmed you know a couple more pounds off it, it, it's things that you find in books where you know you have these professional cyclists that are doing these tell-alls and they talk about how they're doped to the gills on everything you know the post the the u.s postal team Tyler Hamilton wrote a book and he talked about how, you know, they were taking all different cocktails of these drugs. But he says at the end of the day, if he could decrease his weight by two pounds, he would take that any day over increasing his his hematocrit, which is, you know, proportion of red blood cells, which generates power through oxygen. He would choose to decrease his weight by two pounds any day over increasing his, his hematocrit by two by two points and it's just like the crappy part is that um, it's physics it's just simply physics but what you're not told in those simple physics equations that simple one-dimensional physics equation are the other five dimensions that come into play um, longevity mental health um, durability um, bone density confidence and then just the other issues that um you can then struggle with for the rest of your life Um, and for males that's different than for females but it's it's uh none of it's sustainable and none of it's something that you would wish on on anybody and so it's just balance man moderation just trying to find trying to find a way to um, just ride this thing as long as you can. And, and uh, if that's what you want there, there aren't shortcuts and um, taking stress out of it in any way that you can and just enjoying it and doing it. Cause you love it. And I've been super fit and depressed and ran really bad. And I've been a little bit soft and stoked to be in it and run just completely out of my mind. And um and uh yeah, I'd rather be I'd rather be soft and happy than than
1: hard and sad, you know, yeah I think that's a, a good way to end it good work to live by, so um really appreciate you making the time to do this um it's hard to catch you even in the same continent sometimes, so it's nice to. Nice to catch you and for us all to be able to chat for a bit. And like we said, we'd love to have, have you on at another time. We have lots of questions we want to ask you, but um, writing up these show notes is going to take take a while in itself. So, we appreciate Jeez,
2: dude. Back. Sorry, man. Sorry I went on these tangents for so long. I,
1: like you, um,
2: apparently we're <laughs> – we're exhaustive in whatever explanation we give. But yeah. Mal Malk, thanks for thanks for bearing with both hey, of
0: us. No problem at all. I can definitely um yeah, re- there's some pieces of the puzzle that now have kind of fitted into place now that now that I hear both of you talk, I'm like, yep, these guys are definitely related. They're definitely brothers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um
1: before we go, uh Someone asked, uh, and we have had it in the show notes, but but people have asked about the intro and outro music. And uh, and that is actually written and um, produced and sung by our baby brother, Dallin. Yeah, Dallin, little bear. Yeah, so if people are wondering where that music comes from, that's from our brother. We put it in the show notes, but I don't know that we've given him a shout out. Um,
2: oh, yeah, yeah, check out Dallin. Man, Dallin is like, Dallin's like, oh geez i just love love that kid to death he's like man it's like the 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 most genuine sweetest human being you've ever met but man that guy can just just shred on a guitar and he's got a voice of of an angel like 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 the other brother so um both of them yeah check them out if you guys need listening material so dallin pusey i think no that is that what his name is on instagram i think it's actually i think it's actually grilled cheese pappy which <laughs> that just <laughs> that just gives you dallin's dallin's the jester in the family. a jester in the family but yeah um dallin pusey and then aj legrand they're both um man my two favorite musicians but
1: yeah check those guys out you're pretty good yourself but you're quite modest so.
2: mm. uh, just play lullabies
1: these days yeah all right well thanks a lot for, uh, yes. for helping us. And, yeah uh, we'll- thank you guys yeah
2: thanks, thank you thanks. yeah it's been great love you jake yeah. talk to you guys later all right Bye. Bye. thank you
1: many thanks to elo endurance for sponsoring this episode of the art and science of running podcast don't forget to visit them at eloendurance.ca, that's I L O Endurance.ca, and stock up on your favorite endurance products to fuel your upcoming training and racing pursuits. If you haven't tried First Endurance products, our guest Tommy certainly had plenty of good things to say about their vitamins and recovery drink. ELO Endurance carries First Endurance, Goo, Endurance Tap, Cliff, Picky Bars, and Generation U Can. Remember, you can get 25% off your purchase when you use promo code ASR25. That's ASR 25 five.
3: I'll climb atop the high spoon.